Welcome to the Truth of the Matter Is podcast. I am your host, Daniel, alongside Jonathan. This is episode number 104. Speaking on behalf of myself and Jonathan, we appreciate everyone for listening today. Before we begin, let's give a round of applause to all who have decided to join us today. We thank you and hope that you continue to press play during your own time. Yeah, so Dane, before we get started, you know, how's it been this week? It's busy as always. A little tired from uh, from working, but the grind is the grind. What about you? It's been an interesting week, I would say. But as you've stated, you know, you're just evaluating everything that's going on and you're trying to optimize it to the best of your ability while also being considerate and understanding of people's feelings and situations right i think that's the best way to put it when you're dealing with other people especially if they work with you or you both have something in common and or that commonality is something you both share you got to be considerate of you know what they're dealing with and I think as long as you go into any situation, especially family or friends, with that mindset, that allows you to be more empathetic of things that you know nothing about. Yeah. So, on that note, I guess we're going to open up with prayer. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for everything, the good and the bad. The bad because do it. We see that you are present. It's stories like Joseph, who you were with while he was in prison, that we should be encouraged by. The good because all things that you do, Lord, are good. The creation of the world is an example of that. The creation of us in your image, which you said was good indeed is indeed good so lord open up our hearts and minds to your word today feed us so that we may feed others with your words lord i pray that through your instructions we may live a flourishing life and of course and of course that does not just mean wealth or materialistical things instead i'm speaking more in the direction of comfort and contentment And on that note, Lord, we say these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, two weeks ago, we spoke about the unreachable perfect standard of God, and that was part one. And this week, we're going to actually tap into what is reachable. And not so much the perfect standard, but the suggestions that Jesus mentions. How are those suggestions that he mentions, how are they enabling us and giving us the opportunity to see that they are reachable? What that starts with our relationship with Christ and that commitment and allowing him to guide us, direct us and be there for us actually enables the very things that we're going to cover today so this would be part two the only difference is these are reachable 
things are very much reachable. So, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 48 in the English Standard Version. That is our text for today. And for those who haven't listened to part one, we highly suggest that you give that a listen, okay? Without further ado, Daniel, take it away. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall, ne- you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one here white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone will sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. All right, great job, Daniel. So we're going to unpack this in three sections. The first section is from verse 33 to 37. And the topic of discussion here is oaths. Now let's define that for context uh, before we take a look at the scripture and uh, reread it and unpack it. Daniel? Oaths. An oath refers to a promise made in God's presence. A vow refers to a promise made directly to God. Okay, so let's reread Matthew 5, 37, and then we'll start looking at it in depth. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. 
Anything more than this comes from evil. So the biggest, the biggest vow that gets mentioned often, and it happens once a year, is New Year's resolutions. The idea of a resolution comes from a tradition most common in the Western world, but also it's found in the Eastern world. And that is a person resolves to continue good practices, change an undesired trait or behavior, and the goal is to accomplish a personal goal or otherwise improve their behavior at the beginning of the calendar year. Now, we know that the success of that vow does not always happen, especially the gym commitments that we see people often make or, you know, often make. I would say right after the commitment comes, there are some within this month's time start to fade. Sometimes they don't have an accountability partner. It's a great idea, but once faced with the hard work and the commitment to stay consistent, some people fade away. I would say right about now that the gym's crowdness has gone down significantly. When you look at New Year's resolutions, right, the concept is it's really man or woman's attempt to change or continue in a direction of reliable success. And that happens at their own personal strength. The question is, can it be possible? And I would say sure. However, when it comes to making things new, for those who don't know, there's a song called Brand New from Israel when he talks about this. Jesus majors in that category. It's actually New Seasons, by the way. New Seasons from Israel Holton. So Jesus Christ majors in that category. In fact, it says in Ezekiel and in Hebrews, something important, Daniel. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. That's Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 in the NLT. It says, this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Yeah, so Daniel first read Ezekiel 36, 26, and then he read Hebrews 8, 10, both in the new living translation nlt so the concept of anything new that approach resides in what jesus offers and he offers this in second corinthians five seventeen, which says if anyone is in christ he is a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new so new year resolutions are more likely to fail because we're trying to do things on our own strength and as a result it doesn't always plan out. It doesn't always work out. Now, let's go to the book of Proverbs, and Daniel's going to read three texts. One verse will provide a reason why we shouldn't take vows. Again, this is rooted in the suggestions that Jesus makes. And another will explain the value of taking help from others. Two, in fact. Daniel? Proverbs chapter 20 verse 25 says it is a trap to dedicate something rashly 
and only later to consider as one vows. And Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And last but not least, we have Proverbs 11, verse 14, where it says, There is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Great job, Dave. So what Proverbs 2025 is saying is we shouldn't take any oaths because, in fact, they are traps. Because human beings, our word is our bond and things come up. Things happen. So even though in good faith you want to commit. You might not be able to due to tiredness, due to circumstances, due to things, you know, the person that is relying on you may not know so the goal is that we should be cautious in the things we promise we look at proverbs 15 22 it's speaking about having a team around you and that team around you enables you to make solid choices the problem is of course is that you want to do it but running it past someone else could be a good help it could be a phenomenal help. Why? Because they can provide pushback and suggestions, things maybe that you weren't considering. That's the value of having, of having a team. Immediately, you have a desire to do something, but no one is there to challenge you and give you a different perspective. The truth of the matter is your friends, your family, your counsel, are here to cover up your blind spots. And the only way they're going to cover up your blind spots is if you trust them and they ultimately care about your best interests. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, the concept is the more support you have, the better decisions you make. And with sound judgments, you can have greater and better outcomes. This is how you break down the text and apply it practically. You know better, so as a result, you do better. So when Jesus said, you cannot make one hair white or black, that's a simple way of saying, that's not how things work, at least within your capacity. Remember this, our God is a God of process, which means he's about the development stage. Can God do whatever he wants, whenever he wants? Sure. However, how often has God interrupted the natural order of things? Not very often. One example that comes to mind is there's a passage in 2 Kings 20, verse 5-6, where God adds on 15 years to Hezekiah's life. Obviously, that's an interesting thing, and I'm pretty sure there are some now who wish that God would do that for them. But that is an example where God received glory. And that's what we would say once in a lifetime. And I, I want to put this out there too. We may not know who God has done that for. Because we don't know everybody in the world. We know that this was recorded. And therefore put in scripture. But some of the things that God is capable of performing. We may never hear about it. Jesus appeared 
This is another example, by the way, that I'm thinking about. Jesus appeared to his disciples once resurrected behind closed doors. Right? He appeared, which means obviously he could walk through walls. Obviously, when we look at gravity, he defies gravity by being able to be present in a home, even when doors are locked. These two are examples of working beyond the natural order of things. And I'm pretty sure if you are a student of God's word, there are other sections and portions in scripture where God has done, has done phenomenal things. Actually, once Jesus was resurrected, it's stated in the scripture that there are many more things that Christ performed, but none of the books in the whole world will be able to contain all that he has done. Which just shows you God's ability to wow us and to put us in awe. Now let's take a look at verse 38 through 42. The theme of this section is retaliation. Now let's define retaliation. It's the act of harming someone because they have harmed you. So, Daniel, can you reread verses 38 through 42, please? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone will sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So as we look at this portion of scripture. We would give you a very philosophical and biblical perspective. And as always, Daniel, if there's any point you want to jump in and provide a perspective or a thought, you're more than welcome. First things first is Jesus doesn't want the response from us. The energy, the approach to be the same as the person we are dealing with at the present time. Rather. Jesus advises us not to meet the other person on their level. Instead, do better than that. Let's go to the book of Romans as our guide. We look at chapter 12, verse 17 through 21 in the English Standard Version. And let's hear what Paul has to say about portions of this text in response. Not directly, but we can look at what Paul says here as a way to help us understand what Jesus is saying in Matthew. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I know that this won't be easy to do. However, this is why James provides us a very practical view. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 19 to 22, and we're going to look at this in the NIV. Daniel? 
my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Beautiful. So Ephesians 4.27 says, Do not give the devil a foot hole to come in. Meaning, don't allow the devil an opportunity to invade your thinking in order for you to feel the need to retaliate. Jesus is stressing the length at which we should go for our brothers and sisters. The goal is to show them grace and mercy the same way the Lord has shown us that. Let's go to one more passage as it pertains to retaliation. Now, if you're following along, we took a look at Romans 12, 17 to 21. And I wanted to build on that because it's about revenge, right? And revenge, according to the Lord, is something we should not seek, but allow him to do so. And in doing so, we should be obedient to God. Now, the passage I want to go to that is actually mentioned by Paul and Romans and is reiterated and probably the original context of it was in Proverbs. So if we go to Proverbs chapter 25 and we read verses 21 to 22. And let's look at this in the message Bible. It says, if you see your enemy hungry, go buy him lunch. If he's thirsty, bring him a drink. And then it says, your generosity will surprise him with goodness. And God will look after you. And basically what it's saying is that in the midst of how the individual is treating you, you don't fight fire with fire. You don't respond negatively. But instead, you treat him in a way that would cause him to reconsider the way he's treating you. And the truth of the matter is sometimes your response in the middle of chaos, in the middle of mistreatment, could then encourage and potentially have the person who is treating you terribly reconsider their approach to you. And what God is saying here is in spite of how they're treating you, if you treat them respectfully and kindly, he will have your back. He will look after you. Okay? Now, one more thing I think is important to discuss here that maybe could be helpful is a lot of us hear this phrase where it says the eye for an eye or two for a tooth, right? That's usually the phrase that gets mentioned and spoken often in regards of handling things the way it was handled to you. And I would say the natural response is to do that, right? But I think we have to understand that the kingdom of God is really the upside down kingdom, which means serving 
and being generous and being kind to those who don't deserve it is exactly why the kindness and generosity that we give can hopefully turn the perspective of those who may not even consider the possibility of this happening to them. Also, I want to address the main important thing, and that is when anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And when you look at this particular verse, it can be viewed in various different ways. And as a believer, it really just depends on the context of the situation. It's a phrase, it's a saying that really stretches out the idea of having the willingness to be patient and the willingness to go the extra mile for someone that needs it because they don't recognize what they're dealing with. Jesus right here is using a phrase to describe how far you will be willing to take it. At least for me, I'm not reading this directly as to mean you literally give them the other side of your face to hit. If you view this in a literal sense, you have missed the point that Jesus' over-engine point is to be much more willingful to tolerate bad behavior to ultimately allow the person, of course, at a given time, to reconsider their, how they're dealing with things. And sometimes that comes at the cost of sacrificing yourself so that the person can see how terrible they're treating the individual that's on the other end. And for some, they recognize it, and for others, they may not. This is what Jesus is employing us to do. So now the last section of the theme of this passage we're reading as we approach the ending of Matthew 5. And this theme is to love your enemies. Daniel, can you remind the people uh, what is stated in verses 43 to 48? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you only greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not... Even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So the challenge is to care for those who have hurt you and can't stand you. To love really is to sacrifice at the expense of oneself to benefit the one who is to receive it. And we have taken a look at the meaning of love of 1 Corinthians. I believe it's 13 verses 4 through 8. We've done that before. Now, I thought about what it meant to love your enemies. And then there are some interesting points in scripture that I think we should get to to obviously address this point. And then there's something I want to address between verses 44 to 48. 
So I want to take us to Jeremiah chapter 29 in English Standard Version, the beginning at the at verse 4, ending at verse 7. Let's hear what it says here, Daniel. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For it is welfare you will find your welfare. So if you're looking at this passage carefully, it says that Israel was in exile. What does it mean to be in exile? It's really a situation in which you are forced to leave your country or home and go and live in a foreign country. Now that usually comes out as a result of imperialism or enslavement. enslavement. Now, God knows that Israel is living amongst their enemies, living in their camp. And what does God employ them to do? He says, seek the welfare of the city, where he has sent them. He says, pray on the behalf of it, of it, of this city and its welfare. And what the Lord said is that you will find your welfare. So if you think about praying for the success as well as the enemy's success is an act of loving yourself along with the enemy. Let's dig deeper on this idea and what Jesus wants us to do. If we're building on this idea, scripture also says that as you pray for yourselves, keep others in mind as well. And we find this in what Paul told us in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 3 through 5 in the Amplified Version, and this is what it says. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, through factional motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility, being neither arrogant nor self-righteous. Regard others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have the same attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility. So as a reminder, Jesus didn't just die for the Jews. He died for the whole nation. So for those who do know this, Jesus actually prayed for the very people who tortured him. Jesus said in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do to get this even more even more deeper passage that shows us the depth of loving an enemy and this will be the last passage we view for today before i kind of give my last thoughts on matthew 5 43-48 we're going to go to the book of acts and bear with us because the context of this story matters and i want you to see how the gentleman is treated and how he was once an enemy and is still loving him at his lowest that perpetuated him to come to Christ. So we're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 16 and we're going to look at verses 16 through 34. Daniel? As we were going to the place of prayer, 
we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrate tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to, hymns to the God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken, and immediately, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourselves, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Thanks, Dan. The reason why we share this passage of scripture is because the love you have for Christ must be stronger than your fear of physical punishment. Your attitude towards those who are acting in ignorance must be receptive in the name of justice and truth, and that requires patience on your behalf. As ambassadors and representatives for Christ, you must be willing to go the extra mile with a person, just as the Lord has gone many miles with you. The truth of the matter is, it's really a true blessing to see and understand the hand and work of God. Therefore, in order to be used as an instrument of righteousness, continue in the ways of the government and kingdom of God. Now, there is something I want to revisit. And I want to explain a little bit more at length at and verses. 43 to 48 and it says and the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm covering this is because I think it's, it's actually very important when it comes to loving your enemies it says for he in, in this case is God who makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good 
and sends rain on the just and the unjust, I would say this is an example of God's goodness. And the reason why this is an example of God's goodness is that if we're looking at it in a parable sense, having rain and sun produces productivity, which allows the growth of crops and a reliance on nature. What a lot of people don't remember is that in Genesis 8, after God flooded the earth and he had Noah built the altar, what happens is in verse 21, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the attention of man's hearts is evil from his youth. Right? And then God said, Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And he said, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest time, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. This is evident that these are resources and periods of time that human man can rely upon. And these things come regardless whether you believe in God or not. At one point, I talked about God's grace and mercy. And I said that if you look at it from a scale from zero to two, the majority of us on scale one. And I talked about how in Luke eleven twenty eight, blessed and highly favored are those who hear God's word and continue to observe it. We know that in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 34, it said, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. We go to the Gospel of John 3.16, God so loved the world that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is a choice. This choice is given to all of us. And regardless of whether we believe or not, God's goodness is still in full display. And we know that because there are resources that enable us to still live, to still prosper, to still be successful. And these things are not going away. And that's the reason why I brought up the passage in Genesis 8.22. So when it talks about God loving us in spite of, in spite of whether or not we accept it or not, that's truly what God has provided here. Which is why, regardless, he says, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. And then it says, for if you love those who love you, what reward would you have? Which is an interesting statement. And I think all of us should understand that when it comes to loving someone or caring for someone, a lot of us do it with the knowledge and the belief that it's going to be returned back. But what God believes the challenge is, and this is the reason why Jesus mentions it, is that make sure that the love that you have is there regardless, right? Because he says, obviously, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have, right? That's the question. So, this is the reason why loving your enemy is a challenge.
because your love for them matters even if they don't see it because sometimes it comes later and your love for them is not guaranteed that they're going to love you back and guess what God and what he's done for us so that we can survive and live on this earth is there regardless whether or not they acknowledge him or accept him as the creator of the universe so this is the example that God has set. So be mindful, again, to love at the expense of oneself is to benefit the one who is to receive it. And always remember that. And you may not know when that person eventually receives that love and intends to love you back. But the goal is, is that this is something that we should strive to practice and do moving forward. And again, these three sections of passages that we discussed today are very reachable and obtainable. Not easy, but with Christ, I believe all things are possible. Therefore, before we go to devotional time, is there anything you want to add, Daniel? Nothing to add. Okay, so on that note, we jump right into devotional time. God is love. We read that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says God's love is personal. God's love is not a romantic feeling. Rather, it is the love of self-sacrifice. And he demonstrates this sacrificial love by sending his son to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. By drawing us to himself, by forgiving us of our rebellion against him. And by sending his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Therefore, enabling us to love as he loves. God knows each of us individually and loves us personally. His is a mighty love that has no beginning and no end. It is this experiencing of God's love that distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. And why does God love us? It is because of who he is, which is why God is love. So, Lord, as we go throughout the week to come, I pray that as long as we know who you are and that you are love, we will not be afraid to come to you for anything and share whatever is going wrong. It is with that confidence we begin, begin to have a solid and legit experience with you, God, that is authentic. I pray for that development with everyone. And then all in agreement say, Amen. Amen.